This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry. Uh, Derek, did you have a good weekend? I did have a good weekend, Sean. Um, had a good time. Uh, didn't do a whole lot. Uh, sorry, as soon as I started recording this, I just saw an all-time great quote. Uh, so, obviously, we know the NFL draft's coming up Thursday. And Kentucky will have Jamin Davis most likely selected in the first round. But a lot of the speculation, Sean, is who the San Francisco 49ers will take at the third pick. Trade it up. The thoughts would be that they'll take a quarterback. So Adam Schefter just tweeted, asked if he could guarantee that Jimmy Garoppolo would be on the uh, 49ers roster Sunday. Kyle Shanahan said, I can't guarantee that anybody in the world would be alive Sunday. <laughs> so <laughs> interesting there to, uh, to go with that. So, uh, to get back to your question, though, yeah, I had a good weekend. It it is a big week, though. I mean, you got the the NFL draft coming up. Uh, obviously, we're going to be monitoring and following everything that happens with Kentucky basketball. I mean, obviously, the the news and stuff last week, Derek. You know, of Terrence Clark's passing and everything. Certainly, I think slowed down the development of some mm-hmm. things coming out with the program. Uh, I mean, I know Tony Barbie was still announced officially Friday. Uh, we know that was going to come out, and obviously Joel Justice has already uh, changed his Twitter profile and everything to Arizona State, even though there's no official press release yet from from UK, which there there might not be. I don't know. We might not even get one on that one. But uh, certainly, all the news late last week kind of slowed things down. And I would expect, though, sometime in the coming days for some staff announcements to come out. Yeah, you're right. It's interesting that, um, as far as I can tell, even Arizona State hasn't officially announced Joel. Maybe they have, and I've just missed it. Um, I'll check that right now, actually. And I, I did talk to Joel uh, Saturday, actually, for a few minutes. Wished him well and everything, and he was talking about how excited he is. It's tough to get out there. So, I mean, it. Uh, but, yeah, I, I don't, I've not seen anything official, but he is definitely on his way. Yeah, and that could still happen today. When we record this, it's still pretty early out in the day and uh on the west coast so obviously we know yeah like you said whether it's you know announced officially or not i mean that's that's a done deal he's obviously already moved out there and has begun his career um with arizona state you know sean i saw some people uh on twitter on the message boards a little bit nervous about the counter offers or whatever you know the negotiating process i guess you should say for orlando antigua and whether I can't remember who reported. I think I think maybe a national reporter was talking about a counteroffer. Am I wrong there? Zagoria maybe something like four years, a million dollars. Am I making that up? 
and that was was that on Thursday when that was reported to? Could have been. I, this is all I'm gonna say though about any kind of counter offer type deal. John Calipari has done this long enough, and basically he's not letting Joel Justice and Tony Barbie go unless he has something lined up. He's not gonna just conduct some wild search, not you know, from the ground up, not knowing what he wants to do. Like those other moves are made because he knows what's going on. So I guess my advice would be, yeah, until the paper is signed, I guess anything could happen. But this just all seems like window dressing to me, Sean. Just part of the process. I wouldn't be worried at all that uh, these assistants will back out or anything like that. No, and then, you know, or Antigua's connection to the program and stuff, it just feels like that's strong too, Derek, and and everything. I just don't know when it will be officially announced and when all these moves will be set in stone given the circumstances. And, you know, John Calipari flew out to, to L.A. to be with Terrence Clark's family and everything. There's just a lot going on right now. Uh, so I think that that's going to definitely delay some things. But uh, we'll certainly get to that. One other note, though, Derek, on – on the Kentucky basketball front before we move on to to some other things. Um, I think I texted you, I don't remember, I think it was Friday night, if I'm not mistaken, about Keon Brooks. And I know that's obviously been a huge topic and a, a question mark that Kentucky fans have had now since the season ended. And I think at one point it got to the, it got to the point where I think people just thought that he was going to go. But Derek, I texted you a, a solid source that I trust told me actually on Thursday night that they're confident that Keon Brooks is going to return to Kentucky unless John Calipari decides to take someone at his position or forward. Uh, you've not seen Kentucky do that at this point. Obviously, Walker Kessler was the guy there that they you know were rumored to be linked with. It's all been backcourt pieces now, which does not affect Keon in my opinion. It would be a frontcourt piece that would affect it. Uh, and then David Sisk reported Saturday morning uh, source, and I'm wondering who uh, who who we both talked to that it came out kind of kind of in the same thing. But I, I didn't report on or anything given the new given you know when I heard it on Thursday, my mind instantly shifted to everything with Terrence Clark and his family. But it certainly sounds like things are in a good spot with Keon Brooks and Derek. I told you the other night that it wouldn't shock me if all those guys just said, "Hey, look." We just lost a teammate. We need one another. And just seeing how close those guys were the other night during the, the visual for Terrence, uh, I just think it would be hard for any of those guys to leave one another right now. I really do. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. It's good, good info you have on Keon. Um, even when you think about some of these guys recently who went to the portal, I know Dylan Disu from, from Vanderbilt sounds like he wanted to get back to Texas, so maybe he's not the best example for this, but – He's a guy that plays Keon's spot, or you would think, you know, would, would be a front court piece. Had Kentucky been interested? There's been a few others. I think Trey Mitchell is his name from UMass, who was thought to have been a, you know, pretty high caliber player. UK's not been linked to him at all. I mean, really, I think, at least in my mind, what it's kind of been about is what Isaiah Jackson will do. And as more time goes on, I don't think, um, I mean, maybe there's like this lingering hope that Jackson's going to come back, but I, I think it's probably best to move on from that. And uh, if that's the case, then, yeah, Keon is right there where he becomes pretty important to coming back. And uh, I think he's going to lean that way. I mean, I have no reason not to trust um, the person who told you that. So he would be a, a big one. Um, and I, I mean, you think about another guy in the backcourt, though, as, as 
you know, CJ Frederick, there hasn't really been too much news on him. It had kind of been speculated that yesterday he might cut his list, but that never happened or put out a list. I don't know if he's even, I say cut. He's, I don't think he's even put out a list yet. Um, just to the schools that he's considering, but think about the other guy on the team though, who's kind of in the same spot as Brooks. I mean, Davion Mintz has not given any, any kind of indication what he's going to do next season. And again, there's still a lot of time um, before this roster is going to be set. Oh, yeah. Excuse me. Still quite a bit of time left with this thing um, as we move throughout. Pretty hard to believe, though, that April's pretty much over now after this, this week. It's it is. nuts to think yeah. that we're moving into May. Uh, we got coaching staff changes going on. you got the portal going on. Tata Washington, obviously, is going to announce his decision. He had some uh, rumors over the weekend. Yeah, supposedly the rumors were he was on a visit to Arizona, right? Is that what was flying out there? Yeah, but then I think his dad tweeted that he wasn't. He, he, wasn't he got a crystal ball, um, I think, from an Arizona rider. I don't know if anyone else has followed up with that. But, yeah, Ty Ty got a crystal ball pick to Arizona. Of course, Arizona just hired Tommy Lloyd, I believe his name, from Gonzaga uh, to be their new head coach. So he was one that – Sean wanted to mention to you um, – this morning, a lot of reporters reported. I saw Jeff Goodman first, but I think it was pretty much out there by everybody. Georgia point guard transfer, uh, Severe Willer. How do you count his list? So he got quite a few other schools. Texas was one. I don't have them all pulled up. But, you know, we saw guys like Davion Harmon, who initially, you know, had gotten reached out to UK. But whenever it came time to cut their list or whatever, UK was no longer there. But it sounds like, I mean, off that report this morning, I got to think they're actively recruiting Severe Wheelers. Is that kind of your interpretation as well? What do you, what do you think about that, though? 5'10", 180-pound guard. Like, what do you think about with it, with it being a small guard? I mean, when I watched him them play Georgia, I, mean, I thought he's a pretty good player uh, the last few years. 14 points per game, 7.4 assists. You can't Just, shoot at all. But. No. Um. I did think it was interesting that his name popped up. We talked about him when he went in the portal. I believed it. And didn't we talk about him on this podcast? For We, we mentioned so. it about him going to the portal and that it was a good player, you know, that Georgia needs him. Uh, I was a little surprised to see Kentucky. You sent me that tweet earlier uh, where it was included, where they were included. Um, it's interesting, though. Like, I just – I have no clue what John Calipari, you know, is trying to do there at point guard, obviously – we know that they want Ty Ty Washington, but, I mean, it seems like they're putting out fillers for just about every solid guard that's going in the portal they're reaching out to and talking to. I would think Wheeler, though, is a true distributor, though. Someone yeah. – his assist numbers are great uh, or have been the last few years. But, you know, I don't know how that's going to pan, pan out, but, you know, who knows? Maybe there's to be more guys, too, who go into the portal. But I, I think he was the only portal kind of name today, though, Um associated with Kentucky. Now, there was really big news uh, for the women's basketball program, and uh, I had figured out how to say her name earlier, and now I'm already forgetting. Uh, they hired a new assistant coach who seems way too overqualified to be an assistant coach. Um, Hall of Famer. She's a Hall of Yeah. Gail Gest, uh, Gestencourse. Gail Gestencourse. Uh, tough name to say. But uh, Gestencourse had – Coached Texas and Duke and had been to several Final Fours. She's in the Hall of Fame. Um, spent some time in the WNBA with the Indiana Fever and Los Angeles Sparks as, an, uh, as a coach, an assistant coach, I think, for both those schools. So still just 58. So someone who um, spent the, this past year at Central Michigan as an associate head coach. She is from Michigan, grew up in Waterford Township. And 
I think that's a really positive sign, Sean, that uh, Kyra Elsey, who will be going into her second year as a veteran, like I said, I mean, someone who I'm going to assume that she does not want to be a head coach because with a resume like that, you would think she could land a lot of jobs. So and, someone who maybe – yeah, go ahead. Well, and the connection to Lynn Dunn, too, I think was one of the biggest yes. reasons yeah. it got done. Uh, no pun intended there. But <laughs> – so uh, uh, did she coach with Lynn at Purdue, if I'm not mistaken? I read that per- earlier. Yeah, so she was an assistant uh, guest in quarters was in uh, – 1986 to 1992, before she became the head coach at Duke in 92. Oh, you're talking about a program now. I mean, Lynn Dunn's still involved in the UK program. I saw where she was on the, the Zoom call today with the with the players and staff, and then you add this to your 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 staff. I mean, you're talking you're talking a lot of basketball knowledge and a basketball pedigree there that's been successful, and which I think is very very important for Kyra Elsey. I think that is huge. Uh, obviously, you know with Amber Smith and uh, Nia Butts there on the on the staff with her, I think it was very important to have some, like a, a veteran on that staff, someone that can kind of show you the way. Because I mean, Kyra is very very new to the head coaching ranks and stuff. Uh, I would say too, Derek. She came into. I mean, I, I still want to give her some time to see how she does because I, I feel like yeah. she was handed something she wasn't really prepared to take at the time. Like, you, there's no way last summer did she think that by the time the season came around her big blue madness, there's no way she thought she was going to be named head coach. There's no way. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. Uh, some of the accomplishments for guest in tours, guest in course is uh, she was a seven time ACC coach of the year at Duke. Um, she was a Naismith coach of the year in 2003, the WBCA national coach of the year that same year, 2003, and then the AP coach of the year in 07. Also medaled some with UK basketball. She was the head coach for the United States in the FIBA World Championships in 2006 and also in 2002 for the FIBA Championship then. She was an assistant coach in some other years in the Olympics. So to be able to land uh, a coach like this as an assistant, I mean, that's a it's a major move. And you're right, no matter how it is that she came here, whether it was connection to Lyndon or somebody else, that Kyra Elsie is able to, I mean, you would still have to have respect from someone to leave whatever job you had to go work for somebody else. So I think it's a really good sign for Kyra that, and of course she's a big name in, in college basketball. I mean, we'll respect that she's got a, a good resume herself. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May fifth. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Not not quite to the level uh, that the, the new assistant has, but uh, that was some really positive news for a program that you know, as long as Ron Howard is back next year, you would think the the expectations will remain high. Anytime you have probably the best player on the court in any game that you're going to play, you're going to be expected to do a lot. And I think it would be very good uh, for Kyra Elsey, excuse me, moving forward, um, make a deep run this year. This will be the last year with, with Ryan Howard. You might not see another program like that again, uh, or another player like that uh, for the women's basketball program. So. That was uh, most of the hoops talk, Sean. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. 
which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. It's NFL Draft Week, and there are a lot of guys from that U.K. program that hope to hear their name called and should hear their name called. I mean, obviously starting with Jamin Davis right at the top of it. How high does he go, Derek? I mean, it, where do you think he falls? Just if you have a prediction here a few days ahead of the NFL draft. I think he'll go on the 20 somewhere. Um, that's where a lot of the mock drafts have had him. Cleveland was a popular pick. It seems like his stock has risen to the point that maybe he won't fall all the way down to the Buccaneers, but the Buccaneers were a really popular um, selection for him up until probably his pro day. And uh, perhaps he'll go higher than the 20s. Um, I know Daryl Daniel Jeremiah from the NFL Network um, put out a new mock today, and I want to say that he continued – Jamin, that is, stayed pretty high, um, but that Kelvin Joseph had a big dip. I've got it pulled up now. And, yes, Jamin comes in on Daniel Jeremiah's list at – give me a drum roll, Sean. It's a – I can't even scroll, do it. <laughs> scroll down here. Oh, so he's at twenty. He's at twenty third. So he's only up one spot. But uh, still, he is someone like. So I was on that conference call. He's probably had many more since then. But it was for like general NFL media is my guess because uh, Josh Edwards, my coworker who writes some NFL draft uh, stuff for CBS Sports, sent me the link, and it was like hundreds of. Uh, NFL media, but he had high praise for Jamin Davis, said he could be the kind of defensive rookie player of the year type guy. That is and, high praise, uh, for sure. Yeah, no Although question. That was the worst drum roll, I think, that I could have ever given you. Well, I, didn't, I didn't hear it. Uh, I just so happened to – I no, found – uh, It sounded like I was throwing up, honestly. So this doesn't show how far of a drop he – well, I, I think from memory, Kelvin Joseph, I think, was either in the late 30s or, or low 40s the last time I remember looking on NFL Network. He is all the way down to 84. Wow. On this one, well, that would put him on third round, something like that. Yeah, um, I mean, there's some questions there, right? He's got some character questions for sure. He does. Uh, I'm sure is what's knocking him down. I don't think the talent is the issue. Uh, I mean, he's someone who played very well um, in the SEC. I mean, had, had some bad moments here and there, but I got to think. Uh, I, I'll say this: I was very surprised at the first round talk for him. Yeah. Whenever it was out. Yep. So. I was too. I don't think that's happening at all. No. Uh, third round seems about where it's going to be. Do you think he falls lower, though? you think there's a chance? No, I think you can take a shot on someone like that in the third round. And um, he's definitely got the talent. Like, he'll be in that range where you feel like you're getting a potential, you know. I would say the talent level would be right for right around that round, if that makes sense. Like, I thought first round was maybe a little – little high for him just based on his talent too. Um, but I think if you take him there, like he's obviously going to need some 
some work, but you don't necessarily have a ton riding on a third round pick. I mean, that's still high enough to where you want them to be a good player, obviously. Um, but you know, you're going to be able to invest in some other guys before him. So those were the only two players from Kentucky on the, uh, in the top 150. But I saw Matt Zenitz, I think how you say his name from AL.com who went around and interviewed some SEC personnel, some coaches, things like that. And there was a lot of high praise for Drake Jackson and Quentin Bohanna, two guys that uh, I I don't know. I wouldn't call them locks to be picked at all. A matter of fact, I think Bohanna is projected to be undrafted, whereas I do think Drake's going to get picked, but it's just going to be late. But those are two guys that obviously had a lot of respect from their Kentucky teammates, from their coaches. I mean, two guys who we heard a lot about. Four-year starters, basically, for both of them. They both, uh, well, Drake's case, he was a redshirt freshman. Quentin was a true freshman. He took over midway through the year for uh, Nakwes Pringle and Matt Elam. Uh, and then Drake, of course, took over for, I don't know who it was at that point. They tried a lot. Bunchy and I think Nick Haynes. Yeah, they did. <laughs> yeah, center. over the head. He took over for somebody uh, at center. But, uh, yeah, some really good feedback for him. You can find that story, like I said, at ale.com. Um so yeah, those are those are four guys right there from UK that we just mentioned have a good chance to get drafted. That's not even including Landon Young, uh, Boogie Watson, uh, maybe Brendan Eccles. I think had a pretty good pro day. I'm probably forgetting some guys honestly as we go through here. Um, but yeah, this should be a good draft for Kentucky. I think conservatively you can expect Davis, Joseph, and Jackson to be picked, and then. I don't know how Landon Young wouldn't get selected, honestly. Just thinking about from a guy who started as many games as he did in the SEC and played well, had a good prospect pedigree coming up, no off-the-field concerns at all. If he is someone who, you know, I guess maybe his question mark would be pass protection because he didn't really get to see it. (laughs) Like, I couldn't tell you for sure that he is a great pass-blocking left tackle just because that wasn't really an emphasis a lot of those years that he was at UK. So I could see that being a bit of a question mark with him, but I got to think he'll have a really good chance to stick around at least uh, on a team here early in his career. Someone's really going to like him, in my yeah. opinion, regardless of how he gets on the roster. I think when when he does, I think someone's going to to really like what they have in him as far not just as a player but as a man, everything. I think that uh, I'm excited to see where all these guys fall. It's hard to believe that this will be – the second COVID NFL draft. I mean, considering, you know, last year, it was super weird last year. However, everybody was sitting at home and stuff, but it's hard to believe it's been a year since that last one. But we'll be we'll be here to talk about all of it. Uh, not sure on interviews. I, I know, Derek, well, you and I have mentioned we'd like to try to get a couple of those guys on and stuff at times if possible. So we'll, we'll be working on that. But before we wrap this thing up, you've been wanting to talk about the baseball program for a bit now. And – Felt like yesterday was one of the, I don't want to say save, but it it, it certainly feels like a save, right? From from what yeah. was going on prior to to yesterday, yeah, the weekend. Definitely, um, I went out there Tuesday night. Uh, they played Louisville in a rivalry game, which Kentucky beat Louisville earlier this year for the first time uh, in Louisville, I should say, for the first time since 2014. So I mean, that was a you look at the resume, still by far, um, probably go as far as to say it's like their only good win, honestly. But yeah, like you were saying, so they played Alabama. They lost ten to one and looked really bad doing it defensively. Didn't get very good pitching. I think only had three hits the whole night. 
So really about as bad as he could look is, is what happened to them Friday night. So at that point, they had lost four in a row, and by an average, the last three games in that, in that losing streak had been by an average of nine runs. So they weren't even really being competitive, some of those losses. So they had a rain out on Saturday, which I think ended up being a really good thing for them. They went and played two seven-inning games on Sunday, swept them both, and you know, won both games, five to two the first game. And then TJ Collette went crazy the second game, hit three home runs. I think it was only the third player in UK history to do that, uh, to hit three home runs in one game. But he moved into second all time, which he's been here five years. I, I will make that note. Um, I think TJ's a great kid. He tied AJ Reed. And they're both from the same hometown, Sean. How cool is that? The two that the guys on number two cool. tied for number two. Yeah, they're both from Terre Haute, Indiana. So he has 40 career home runs. But, yeah, like what you're saying, you know, why it was so important to win that game is one, they had lost three straight SEC series after starting five and one in the SEC. So they're nine and nine now. And I think the reason you kind of stopped yourself short from saying, you know, kind of save the season is because you look at what they have coming up. And I tweeted it earlier. I use D1Baseball.com. There are like 15 college baseball polls, and you never know who is ranking teams where. I'm biased towards D1 because I know those guys. I interned them for them when I was in college. Um, these are the remaining opponents that UK has in the SEC, and this is just brutal. This weekend, or this Thursday, actually, they play on Thursday at Tennessee. Well, Tennessee is the fourth-ranked team in the country. They come home for two straight series. They'll play Florida, who is ranked 14th in the nation, and then South Carolina the next weekend. They're 13th in the country. And then they close the season, Sean, with maybe the number one overall seed in the tournament here soon, Vanderbilt, who's actually ranked number two uh, in this poll. But they have – two of the top three projected picks and then will be draft. So when you talk about UK baseball, kind of the magic number you want to get to is at least 15 SEC wins. I mean, it puts you at 500 and most years that's going to be good enough because the SEC is so tough. So Sean, put on your kind of projecting hat here with those teams that I just named. You see six wins there. Oh boy. Let me pull up the schedule so I can look at it a little bit closer here. Uh, Tennessee has been one of the like surprise teams. They they, were, they had a 2019 with Tony Vitillo, their coach. They had done really well, kind of got on the radar, and I think they were playing pretty well before the COVID shutdown last year. But we just didn't get to watch very much season last year to, to really say what they would have been. But this year they've been very, very good. I and think they're then, getting swept in Knoxville. The way Tennessee scores, like, I could totally see it, especially with UK's um, – the way that they've been throwing the ball. When I look at this, Sean, the two teams, like if they're going to have any kind of chance to even be on the bubble, you've got to win at least one of those series yes. against Florida or South Carolina at home. In the South Carolina series, which which one do you feel the best about? Would it be that one? Yeah. I uh, have a buddy. I've shouted him out on here a few times who covers South Carolina baseball. And, like, and I've probably mentioned this too. Like, some of these schools cover baseball religiously, whereas here at UK, you know, you really only – cover them very close when they're good. I mean, certainly there are reporters who go out there for every game, uh, but does not get the same kind of eyes like it does at other SEC schools. South Carolina has not really played all that great in Lexington the last few years. So uh, you could see a case there where maybe, you know, UK is feeling a little bit optimistic, but Florida, you know, Florida's kind of had a down year compared to what people thought they would be. But I got to think just pure talent wise, like there's probably a bit of a, bit of a mismatch there, so I think it'll be tough to, to win that series. So the way I look at it, basically, 
if you get swept in any of these series, you're probably done in terms of instantly tournament hopes. Um, yeah. And you probably play your two toughest series on the road, both in, yeah. of course, in the state of Tennessee. So any kind of uh, that Georgia no. series was massive, wasn't it? Losing two or three that weekend. To who? To Georgia. Yes, it was. That was, that was um, massive. And that's so that's kind of where I would say, like, when I look at the general season to this point. And uh, I know some people care about this, some people don't with baseball, but they were picked to finish last in the SEC East. And unless things go really, really poorly these next four weeks, which I mean, you look at the guys they're playing, the, the opponents are playing, like yeah, it, it could be, it could be kind of bad if we're being honest, just with how like this. This is by far their toughest stretch coming up. I mean, that's a tough stretch for anybody. Four top fifteen teams, but they've done a good job this year winning the series that they should win for the most part. Swept Auburn, that was huge. Won the series against Missouri, and then won the series against Alabama. I would say all those teams are either one worse than UK or two kind of on the same level, which is where I would put Alabama. I, they had very similar records coming in. Um, Alabama was much younger than Kentucky is, but you got them at home. And even though it wasn't pretty on Friday night, they found a way on Sunday to get the job done. That kind of still gives you life. Um, but when I kind of evaluate the baseball program, in year five of Nick Mangione, like, they need to be competitive these next four series. You cannot look like you're just totally outmatched by these four teams because, like I was just saying, like, Kentucky is not – like, this is not a young team. You don't really look at this lineup and think, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, you're really building towards something. Like, Ryan Ritter will be back. Uh, Chase Step will be back as a young guy. Alonzo Rubicalwa at catcher. Um and then a third base, Jake Plastiak or Ruben Church, whoever it is that they're playing that day, like those guys will be back and some of the weekend arms. But like a lot of these guys you rely on are older guys. TJ Collette, John Rhodes. I say John Rhodes is older because he's draft eligible. Austin Schultz, uh, Colton Kessler, like they're losing quite a bit yeah. off this team. So you need to probably take advantage of this talent that you do have right now. And um, that's why I think this is such a critical stretch for the baseball program because you'll pretty much know where you stand. These are four teams in your division that you will have to compete against year in and year out. And uh, if you don't look like you're really competitive against them, then I think it's, you know, I think morale will probably be kind of low going into the off season if that's the case. Yeah. Nick Mangione definitely needs that team to, to finish strong, but I'm with you. It'll be interesting to see. That's definitely a tough schedule down the stretch. That's why it was so important for them to get off at the start that they did at yeah. SEC play uh, because it, it has been tough since then. Uh, we'll see where it goes from there. I know the softball team had a big series, too, there against LSU at home this weekend. Uh, that's a team that's lost quite a bit in the, yeah, in the last month, which is really – I don't know. It just It surprises me because – We're not used to it. No, I, I really thought that they were going to be – Right there, six, number six, number five, number seven in the country, the way that they started and the way that – I mean, they beat Alabama at home that won that series, two of three. Uh, it's still a good team. I mean, you have some of the best hitters in, in softball out there in, in the college ranks, uh, but it, it is surprising that they've so lost. They're, 30, they're 32 and 12. I feel like but lost a lot, you know. But I think in the last 15, what are they? I mean, it's – they, I know they're below 500 in SEC play, right? In SEC play, that yeah, they're seven and eleven. Yeah, yeah, good point there. That's what I was trying to. Yeah, so they started since, twenty and zero, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, 
if they started 20 and 0, then they're 12 and 12 since. Okay, I want to think it was 20 and 0. Maybe somebody can correct me on that. I know they were undefeated and it was close to 20 wins. So I think uh, that uh, might be right. Yeah, they didn't lose their first game until Florida on March 12th. Yeah, and they lost two of three that weekend, if I'm not mistaken. They lost. Uh, I know they lost a midweek game too to Western Kentucky, if I'm not mistaken. It looks to me like they've only won one SEC series this year. Yeah, Tennessee beat them two of three. LSU beat them. Uh, yeah, they've Auburn they've beat struggled. them in the series. Yeah, they they've struggled. They uh, I mean, the SEC just so strong though. Um, Alabama's number three. I don't know if this is when they played Alabama or what they are now, but Tennessee 18th, Georgia 20th, and then kind of seems surprising that they would lose two out of three at home to LSU because LSU is not ranked. Maybe they're better than I'm going to They won the first game of that series. Yeah, they lost two in a row after the doubleheader. They got rained out, too. They were like the baseball team. They had to play. Um, Yeah, I just clicked on LSU's schedule. Might as well make one more note. We're wrapping up here. Um, We don't talk about it a ton, which we did talk about some women's college basketball. Kim Mulkey from Baylor going home to LSU. I mean, what a crazy hire. (laughs) That was Sean. They get a national. I think about a three-time national three-time champion. national champion who's to leave. I mean, being. I mean, it was an elite job. Like, yeah, going to a place that's never won a national championship in the women's game. I'm pretty sure. I don't. I mean, it's crazy to think that you yeah. can pull that. But I think she grew up what an hour away from Baton Rouge. Yeah, she got family ties. I remember Kramer Robertson. If you remember him, a really good shortstop for LSU. That's her son. That's so, true. He played at LSU, but, like, I can't remember who tweeted it. I think it was uh, someone from uh, Football Scoop or whatever. But they said, this is the kind of hire that, you know, and the saying is for the coaching search, like, you've got to make them say no before you move on. you got to make this coach say no. He said this seemed like one of the situations where you say that and the, and the candidate actually didn't say no. Like, they said yes. Like, I'll come take that <laughs> job. So uh, that had been rumored, apparently. Like, I think they had tried to get her before. But yeah, after 21 years, I think it was at Baylor, she's going to the LSU. Going to LSU, so great hire. Um, obviously, for LSU. For LZ, right? Yeah, as, as if it wasn't already tough enough for sure. Um, strong hire for for SEC women's basketball. Uh, another note too on the men's basketball side. So the Iverson Classic announced their rosters, and all three Kentucky signees, uh, Bryce Hopkins. Damian Collins and Nolan Hickman are on the same team, and Tata Washington is on the other team in the Iverson Classic. I think it's uh, the coaches of one team are Steven Jackson and Matt Barnes, and the other ones are Rasheed Wallace and Bonzi Wells. Yeah, and speaking of that, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, very minimal changes, but ESPN updated. I think we might have mentioned that with Tata. He was a five-star at ESPN, but that those you know kind of shuffling in the rankings changed the composite slightly. Not much for Kentucky, but Damian Collins did move up one spot in the composite, so he's a top ten prospect. Um, and then the other change, just of note, is pretty much the whole season since he had committed to Kentucky, Bryce Hopkins had been ranked ahead of Nolan Hickman. But with that shift in the composite, of course, Hickman went up to a five-star at ESPN. He is now 29th in the country in the composite rankings, and he moved one spot ahead of Bryce Hopkins. So Hopkins is at 30. So you look at it, Sean, three top 30 prospects so far and this is before rivals or 24 7 sports has updated their final rankings so surely to be some more shuffling 
but still a positive sign as I think all of those guys I think Hawkins might have moved down one, but everybody else moved up a couple spots. Now, is that game taking place, the Iverson Classic, or they just named teams? I'm I'm assuming, right? Is that one being I don't played? even know. I know it, none of it was played last year, obviously, but I want I don't know. For them to announce teams and coaches and everything, it kind of feels like maybe we can get some that actually happening. Yeah, well, it would be cool if it did. I don't know where it. Isn't that usually played near DC? If I'm I'll not play at uh, oh yeah, of course he Alan Iverson went to college uh, in Georgetown, but it should have played in Philly. Um, yeah, it looks like yeah, it looks like. Yeah, it's the only major All-American game being played this year. What's the date on that? Do you see it? Yeah, May – oh, tickets to be purchased on May 7th and May 8th. I'm on the website now, the Iverson Classic website. That game will be played. This is good. This is good podcasting right here. Uh, <laughs> May 7th and 8th, yeah, that is the date yeah. of the game. May 7th and 8th, so that's something else for us to talk about there. I mean, obviously we'll be – yeah, that's next, what, two weeks from now? Right at it? Yep, two. It's a weekend before I get married, so May 8th. I'm trying to still see where the game is. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to figure out too. I'm trying to see. And it looks like it's going to be broadcast on Showtime. Am I reading that right? Yes, you are. So I won't be watching that. Maybe we'll have to find a live stream there. Somewhere. On, on something on Reddit. Uh, that it's actually in Tennessee. It's in Bartlett, Tennessee. You know where that is? I do not. But if it's close, I would like to go. Bit of an obscure uh, location for an all-American game, but <laughs> I don't even let me make sure that's even a real place. <laughs> yes, Bartlett, Tennessee is in Nashville. That's seven hours from my house. I will not be attending that. Probably closer to Memphis then, huh? It is very close. It's just outside of Memphis, actually. I don't know, Derek. Maybe I'll feel a little... That's a road trip, man. It is, but when you have three, and possibly by the time that game comes, it could be four, right? Four UK commits, signees. Might be worth it. Might be worth it. So uh, I'll look and see. I know the Midwest Mania was this past weekend and stuff, and there was a lot of good basketball come out of that. Uh, I did not attend that. I know you and I both went back and forth kind of on it, if we were going to go or not. But uh, I'm waiting to see what other events and things like that. Uh, yeah, we're we need to do a mailbag soon. Do you think? Do you think tomorrow? Just do you want to put everything out for tomorrow? Do a mailbag. By the way, I we have. I need to, to answer this for Ryan. I missed his mailbag question last week, and then I promised him that I would get to it on Thursday and guess what I forgot it Thursday too and then we didn't record but this was his question last week he said any chance Cal is attempting to recruit over Allen to avoid eating as much crow hearing good things about UK's chances with Ty Ty Miller uh, CJ after already adding Grady and Hickman sounds like Cal is doing all he can to avoid playing Dante I, I replied to him in text and and said I don't think that's the case especially if Cal is committing to playing three perimeter players, like he's been saying, and like Oscar Shibway, you know, has talked about four out, one in. Uh, Kyle's been on this show talking about Kentucky committing to playing three perimeter players. As long as he plays three true wings, I think Dante will play. But if it gets into a Keon Brooks, Jacob Toppin playing the three, then I do think that Dante's minutes could suffer. 
Yeah, I think that's well said. No, I don't get the impression that he's recruiting over. Well, everybody is getting recruited over. I mean, the goal of a coach is always to have as you know best players as possible. But as of now, as it stands, like I definitely still see a role for Dante on next year's team. But it's going to come down to Dante, you know, making shots. One, obviously, it's going to be his main objective when he's in the game. But let's just see how he kind of develops over the offseason. That's kind of how I'm going to take it for all these guys who are coming back. Um, I want to see how they kind of react in a different year where, especially Dante, who got his first real taste of action. Let's see how he kind of takes what he learned this year and develops his game more all around. But, no, I don't – I think just like everybody else in the early in the season, he's going to get his chance to uh, get a spot in the rotation. I do too. So go ahead and just submit your mailbag questions to us. I will tweet – I will send a tweet out tonight. And if nothing breaks, let's let's say tomorrow, though, that – there's some coaching staff news that breaks or roster news as far as the commitment, then we will push the mailbag to Wednesday, Derek. Uh, but just go ahead and send in questions. And as soon as there's a free day, we'll record it and uh, get it out there to you. And then we'll, we'll try to have two mailbags this week to get back on track with, uh, with mailbag Friday and everything. But we just want to hop on. There's not a ton of news as it stands right now going on five o'clock uh, East, East coast time here. So uh, just kind of waiting to see what happens next. But whatever happens, we'll be sure to get out there to you and uh, make sure we, we cover everything for you. But it's been another episode of Kentucky Daily. He's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you next time. 